It's easy to dislike Jesus and his disciples in today's gospel. Our passage this morning opens with a Canaanite woman crying, Son of David, have pity on me. My daughter is tormented by a devil. Every bone in our Christian bodies wants Jesus to turn around and gently have a word of comfort with her, or perhaps even without speaking, tenderly lay hands on her. Something. Anything. But what we get instead is, by my reading, one of the coldest verses found in all the Gospels. But he said not a word in reply. This verse pierces our hearts because we've all been there before. We pray, we cry, we yell at God. But there are those times when we seemingly get nothing back. Not a word in reply. It's a crippling and isolating spiritual neuropathy, completely and utterly unable to feel this God in whom we allegedly live and move and have our being. Where is God? But the story gets worse. The disciples those people of faith whom Jesus empowered to live out the gospel in the world, the church, their plea is simply, send her away. She keeps shouting after us. They have grown weary of hearing the same thing over and over again. We don't like this response either, perhaps because at times... It might just sound like us, how we get tired when the same people come to us with the same problems over and over and over again. Or maybe it's not a person, maybe it's one of the many issues plaguing our society today. The ones we hear about all the time on the news and social media and conversation and our hearts grow cold. Instead of it being an issue we can help tackle, we convince ourselves it's an insurmountable societal problem, way too big to ever solve. We send it away instead of seeing what we can do. Where is God? Where is the church? The mother cries out again, this time with the simplest of pleas, help me. That's the rock bottom of petitioning. This is after we've asked God to do this, to do that, or try this other thing, and everything's gone unanswered. Our creativity ceases, our frustration has crescendoed, and in our most vulnerable state, we turn the ingenuity over to God. Something, anything, just please help me. But rock bottom, 
somehow seems to get worse when we hear the response. It's not good to take the children's bread and toss it to the dogs, making this petitioner feel not worthy of God's time, God's energy, or God's assistance. Was it because she was a foreigner or a Gentile, a woman? or any of the many other ways she's been told she's not deserving of God's love? Or was she praying wrong? Did she not have enough faith? Had she not been good enough of a person in the past? Whatever the reason, who would say such a thing to a person in such an obvious moment of desperation? Where is God? Where is the church? Where is basic decency? This is the cry of that Canaanite woman. And at times, this is our cry too. So the woman replies, yes, Lord, but even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall off their master's table. And right then, her daughter was healed. A passage like this leaves us wondering, what kind of God do we worship? One option is admitting that the God we worship is a cold-hearted, xenophobic, sexist God who doesn't really care about this non-Israeli woman liking her to a dog. And if that isn't bad enough, we're also worshiping a God who, if we had a good enough of a gotcha, will be impressed by our sass and grant us whatever wish we want. If this is God, then I renounce my orders. This is not a God I would want to worship, and this is not a God to which I would want to introduce others. So how do we make sense of this passage? Maybe by recalling some things about God, remembering that God is immutable and that God is omnipresent, unchanging and everywhere at all times. And also remembering Christ's dual nature, fully human and fully divine, sharing all the characteristics of God and taking on all of the effects of sin as a human, though never sinning. These characteristics can reshape this reading. What we're left with in this passage, then, is a God who held up a mirror to our own human dismissiveness, showing us the ways that we use attributes like religion, nationality, and gender to draw boxes around our ministries, our calls to serve and empower others, and say, I'll help these people, but not those people. I love this kind of person, but not that kind of person. In this story, Jesus took on all of the effects of the ways we other each other. 
but then God puts the mirror down so that we no longer see humanity, but divinity. God rejoices and exclaims, great is your faith. As a beloved daughter struggled through the discrimination of this world and somehow maintained a belief that God loved her, that God loved her as a woman, that God loved her as a foreigner, and that God loved her as a Gentile. This love that God has for all was nothing new. Isaiah reminds us of God's desire for God's house to be called a house of prayer for all peoples. All peoples, no matter what society says, no matter what the church says. As she wondered, where is God? Where is the church? Where is decency? The truth is God was right next to her, sustaining her as she weathered the negative effects of the free will of others. And at the right time, God declared, let it be done for you as you wish. And her daughter was healed instantly not because of a witty quip or because of her insistence. Both are futile tools against an immutable God. Instead, the answer is painfully simple. God loved her daughter, too. God restores everyone from brokenness to wholeness. Some in this world some in the next. A God who is sustaining everyone at all times out of a profound love for each of us, no matter who we are. That is the God that I worship.